Sovereign is known for providing the world's best and most accurate parsing products. And now, based on that technology, comes Sovereign's artificial intelligence matching and scoring software. In fractions of a second, receive match results that provide candidates scored by fit to job, and just as importantly, the jobs fit to the candidate. Make faster and better placements. Find out more about our suite of products today by visiting Sovereign.com. That's S-O-V-R-E-N.com. We provide technology that thinks, communicates, and collaborates like a human. Sovereign. Software so human, you'll want to take it to dinner. Hide your kids. Lock the doors. You're listening to HR's most dangerous podcast. Chad Sowash and Joel Cheeseman are here to punch the recruiting industry right where it hurts. Complete with breaking news, brash opinion, and loads of snark. Buckle up, boys and girls. It's time for the Chad and Cheese Podcast. Oh, yeah. What's up, kids? You're listening to the Chad and Cheese Podcast. I'm your co-host, Joel Cheeseman, joined by my fearless co-host, Chad Sowash. Today, we are happy to introduce, bring on the show, Jen Terry Tharp, marketing consultant. Jen, welcome to the show. Let's go with bad talent acquisition bitch. And because marketing consultant just doesn't do it for me. Just doesn't do it for me. Don't call our guest a bitch. She hasn't even said anything yet. She is awesome. You can call me whatever you want as long as you call me. Jen, Jen <laughs> please share that awesomeness with them and why why we're talking to you and why the hell you're, you're on the show. Ha, so thank you. Well, I, at least some of your listeners will know who you are because in my 20 years at AT&T... They all tried to sell to you at some point. Well, it's truth. Everybody tries to sell to me. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I have a big team and I never do required listening or required reading. But once the Chad and Cheese show came out, like I made you strongly required listening. So I'm certain yes! my at and is- yeah! Oh, I know my at and team's listening. What would you like to say to them right now? Because, I mean, you did the big corporate jailbreak. suckers. Yeah, you know, right? Like, at this point, I'm a month out. I've I've been gone for a month. So, a month after 20 plus years. And, you know, peace, there is life after ATP, right? Like, we can make that trend. It it really, it, it has been... A little bittersweet, right? Like I, I cut my TA teeth and my marketing teeth at AT&T, but I, I, I like the new world, right? I'm just doing whatever makes me happy. So tell me about that though, because I mean, you get sucked into the corporate world. I know I've been there and you feel like, man, I'm in a groove. And then you eject and you're like, man, I was in a fucking rut. Now you might not have been in a rut, but you do feel that huge difference between the two. What you're a month out. What what's that feeling for you right now? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. And and I kind of had a long lead from when I knew I was leaving until when I left because of the my Sharona virus, right? Like so I I knew I was leaving in January and I didn't leave until, you know, May. And so I got to train my replacement. My team said goodbye like five times, right? Like, you know, and, and so I sort of had the period of mourning while I still work there. So since I've been gone, it's been nothing but fun. I mean, like listening to other companies talk about their TA challenges. I, I've been dabbling in a new consulting gig. You guys know we talked a little bit about I've I've been consulting with Jovio and Oh, yeah. So, yeah. And, you know, that's a that's a really interesting gig. It gets to take. So. So back to your other question. Chad. So, like when I worked at AT&T, it, it was really there was a lot of really 
good and awesome things that we did and we did first, right? Like first mobile app for jobs. That was an utter failure, uh, right? Like it was a horrible thing, but I was glad I did yeah. it, right? And and when you have a company like AT&T, technology and vendors, they're just like jumping over themselves to do business with you. So you get to try a lot of things, right? You get to try a lot of things. So I, I feel like I got to sort of hone that engineering and entrepreneurial spirit without having any of the risk and, and putting a little skin in the game and having a little risk. It's, it's, it's kind of nice. It's freeing. So I love, I love the perspective and you mentioned the mobile, uh, AT&T was, was exclusively the iPhone provider, uh, in the early days. And I'm assuming that's the app that you're talking about. Mobile 10 years on has made a huge impact on recruiting. And I just want to know your perspective as someone from AT&T who sees it almost from the front lines, the first app. Just give me give me a sense of what mobile has done in the last 10 years in terms of recruiting and what it's meant. Oh, wow. It changes everything, right? So so in the beginning, we thought we were all badass putting mobile, app, like an <laughs> iOS app out there, right? Like we thought uh -huh. we were the bomb. And the oh, reality yeah. is, I, I mean, I don't remember the numbers. It's a lifetime ago, but it like if there were a thousand downloads, three hundred and eighty of them were AT and T employees, right? Like it was just like a big <laughs> wah wah. And, but 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 it showed me something, right? It showed me that two things. Number one, this wasn't going to stop, and if it wasn't going to stop, I better be at the front of the line. I worked for AT and T, right? Like yep. right. Right. And then the other one was, even if you build it, if everything behind it sucks, it sucks. If your application takes like an hour and a half, it doesn't matter if you have the prettiest mobile interface, your application still takes an hour and a half. And so I think that that for me was sort of the beginning of the customer or candidate experience being an integral part of all of the technology. And it was sort of the moment when the things came together for me. Can you, can you speak to the number or the growth in terms of traffic and applications through mobile? Or were you not uh, privy to those numbers? Oh, no, for sure. So when we started, like when we had the iPhone app and the, and then immediately mm -hmm. after that, within a year, we actually took the site mobile, but not the actual Apple application, right? Taleo mm -hmm. wasn't there yet. And when we started, it was somewhere around 16% finished, 25% started on mobile. And when I left, we were over 50%. Wow. And we, like we talk a lot about fixing the mobile apply. Um, and you mentioned Taleo wasn't there yet. Some might argue they're still not there yet. Uh, we talk about, you know, chatbots being the solution to sort of applying online through a messaging system. What what's your take on how to fix the online application through mobile? Well, let me start with, I, I get people love chatbots, but they are pins in my eyes. Like, I think that it is the worst experience ever. <laughs> like, let me fill in the damn form. Oh my gosh, pins in my eyes. So, no, so, so, you know, no, I don't think anybody's totally there yet. And I think that the overlays and the ATSs and how they, how they look and how they interact and all that stuff, right? Like that's on a, that's on a path. It's on a path that maybe isn't as quick as we would like it to be, but it's, at least it's on the path. What I think gets the big old F to me is like how we set up our applications and our ATSs. Like really, like how many required fields do you really need to apply for a retail sales job? 
Right. And why are they required in the first place? Because it's not really required information, right? Yeah. It uh, kills me. I have to tell you, this is so one of the things, you know, you'd think of being in a marketing role with social media and diversity and all this stuff. You know, if you talked about my top three work accomplishments while I was at AT&T, one of them is literally getting rid of the asterisks, right? Like there were so many red required fields. <laughs> we spent a whole, I mean, like we just went redlining those suckers. Is it really required? No. So much so that our application completion rate was above 90% when I left. Wow. Wow. That is huge. And we talk now a lot about experience, something that we didn't even think about 10 years ago, right? I do have to say that in working with with Carrie and working with you back in the days when I was with direct employers and we created really a, a military crosswalk that was something that was wrapped around what you guys wanted and needed. Now, it didn't work for shit, but I mean, you guys were like at the forefront of R&D in trying to figure out the, the solutions to the hard questions. And I know today you guys are actually very transparent about the veterans that you hire, the amount of veterans and, and the individuals with disabilities and, and so on and so forth. What was the culture that AT&T had to be able to push for more innovation that you don't, just don't see anywhere else? I mean, was that something that you saw more often or were you guys usually the innovator in every crowd? You know, it, it, it's interesting. And, you know, with all of the all of the protests going on now and being really introspective about, you know, my biases and why do I think the way that I think, I attribute 100% of my openness to AT&T and their culture. I, if I could say as a company, the one thing that I walked away with like the most immense amount of pride is the way that they value differences. Like, bar none. I I thought nothing of asking or insisting of you, Chad, back in our direct employer days, that, hey, you have to find me a way to match veterans to jobs. Mm-hmm. Right. Like it, yeah. it, it was just yeah. that was a business imperative. And and, you know, and 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 I look at other companies now, you know, with my outside in lens on and companies aren't even there now. And that was I mean, how many years ago? We won't even say the thing for me, though, is you're seeing outcomes because because back then you were actually pushing vendors to do what they should have done in the first place and not just pushing them, but paying them to actually do it. We have so many so many companies are out there now saying, well, it'd be really nice to have this. It's like, OK, well, great. Is that a need? Because if it is, then you'll actually pay for it. If it's going to solve your problem, then let's go ahead and do that. AT&T did that, which is why I loved working with you guys. Most companies don't. And that being said, let me let me parlay this before Joel gets it. Uh, you guys are constantly innovating on the website. You guys have on the career website is just imagine we c- what we can do together. And it has this uh, lady in VR. Uh, are, are you guys, have you been doing anything in, in in talent acquisition around VR at all with AT&T? So first shout out to Stephanie Boyce, because I know she's listening. She is like the brains behind that website and it is beautiful. It's gorgeous. You know, okay. So we're going to have one of those conversations where I am going to give a dissenting opinion, right? So... <laughs> So here's the deal. Yes, we're doing things in VR, particularly in college and workspaces, right? Those are all things that make good sense. 
Follow mm-hmm. me for a second. So if people have a headset and they're doing their virtual experience at home, I think that that's one thing. But I think it's a pretty big lift or a pretty big ask for somebody that's just exploring a career, right? Mm-hmm. So then it becomes like, what's the next most obvious way to use this? Like before the COVIDs, we would have taken it to a career fair and given you some sort of immersive experience. Well, the reality is it's like, it's, it's like clunky. It's like time consuming. It's, I mean, like it has to make sense. And, and it's like, I never want to be one of those people that just do it to do it. Like it has to be rich and meaningful. So besides tours or job previews or maybe like a virtual interview if it wasn't dumb but it's like i mean do i really need to put on a headset and do all that to do a virtual interview i could just like put on the- so so it seems forced is what I'm yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 cheeseman can't wait to put goggles on because he doesn't want to have to it's deal with another future. human being i've been, in I've his been life. calling it for three years on this show <laughs> You're just hoping never to have to deal with another human being in your life. Yeah, yeah. Jen, you uh, you oversaw a lot of the employment branding stuff at AT&T, and you've seen a lot of things, you know, sort of evolve in that time with Glassdoor and Indeed reviews and Blind and stuff on mobile and apps. I just want to know what your take is on on the future of, of employment branding and how we look at it and how important it is, how we track it and monitor it, because uh, you, were, you were right there on the front lines. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I, I think that there's a group of folks that kind of look at employment branding as its own entity, right? I'm not in that group. It's part of the marketing for the jobs and it's part of your consideration mm-hmm. and it's part of your closure. And, mm-hmm. and so, right. So when I look at it, I look at it just like I would every other piece of conversion material. How much did it convert? Right. Like, mm-hmm. So, I I mean, there's all of those things about truth and storytelling and all of those things that sort of go into making a rich experience that would have somebody consider your job, right? Right. Well, if 40% or more of your job applicants never see your career site, you can't give it credit for that. Right. Like, like you just can't. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and so I, I maybe look at it a little more asset and, and sort of funnel based, right? Like if the intention is yep. to drive consideration for this job, did right. it and did how many of those convert. So like, I'm really trying to put metrics around the efficacy of the individual employment brand campaigns, as well as implied value, like a social, right? Like social is a big activation component of any employment brand campaign, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And we all know that it gets harder and harder and harder to gain space without paying for things on the socials. Yes. But there is a there's a benefit to being on the socials in both an organic way and an employee activated way that gives you exposure that you would otherwise have to pay for. Right. I mean, yeah. So what I'm hearing is there's very little uh, attention paid to review sites and commentary from employees, uh, at least from where your your perspective was. And if that's true, then what's the future of those services? What I would say, Joel, is that I there's benefit in those if those ben- if those are part of the sales cycle or buying cycle, right? Buy this job, right. work here. So the reality is, Glassdoor shows up in far more searches, like in far mm-hmm. more attribution paths then it shows up as the final source. So do I care about Glassdoor? You bet, right? Like, I don't remember the percentage, but I mean, it was more than 50% of our applicants touched Glassdoor at some point during their cycle. I can't not be good there. But if it were something like, I don't want to throw shades on vendors, but you know, if it was some less known rating site, not Glassdoor or Indeed, Uh 
and they were like, you, you know, and I have a low score rating. Like, I don't care. It barely shows up on my path. Gotcha. So question around, again, maybe uh, over talent acquisition. And this is why I love having this conversation because, I mean, you were over talent acquisition and branding and then really had a focus on branding and, and the experience. Did you ever collaborate with big AT&T brand and big AT&T marketing? And what did that look like? Did you guys share a, a vision on how to get things done? How did that, what did that look like at AT&T? Absolutely. I know. Uh, shout out to Caleb Pask and Christine Tool, who I know are listening to, because again, required listening. Uh, yeah. so, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, so it really, it was super collaborative. We were like, we were like an ex- the people extension of their team, right? Like, I, I don't know a different way to say that. But if there was a story or there was an idea or something that really had to do with our people and how, what they did or how they were, that yeah. really seems like an us message. And so we just sort of, we were sort of fluid in that. They were super helpful. They have way bigger budgets than we do. We do and they were super helpful. Were you guys able to actually pull some budget here and there if it actually made business sense? Because it was like, Hey, look, the individuals that are coming through our career site going through our experience, our prospective customers, and or they are customers, we don't want to lose them or we want to get them. Did you make that business case so that you could prospectively get more money from marketing to help you out with better experience? Well, I'm more of a, you know, shake hands, kiss babies kind of gal, right? Like, but but when I had compelling business things where our, our items cross, veterans is a great example of that. Uh-huh. I've never afforded an unemployment branding budget to sponsor NCAA football on veteran, like on veterans day. Like I could have never, right. right. So, so I think that when it, when it made sense and it sort of crossed over again, the culture things, they were really open and they were, like I said, they were always really super helpful. Like I, I always sort of feel bad when I talk to other companies and they, they tell me about their woes, especially now that I'm consulting. Right. And they talk about their woes with working with marketing and branding. And I'm just like, wow, I was so spoiled. So shout out to my friends in marketing at at and though they were great. One of them actually ended up backfilling me. So just to sort of show you how close that connection is, the person that took my place actually came from the marketing department. Oh, wow. Yeah. Awesome, huh? So so in light of that, um, I want to talk about COVID. Uh, it's obviously been an, uh, impactful, not just for vendors, but the recruiting uh, sort of profession and, and industry. And I, I want to know your perspective on you know when, when we start coming out of this, uh, when there's a vaccination, um, what does recruiting look like? Um, how 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 impactful is automation uh, for companies that are on the fence about you know should we go automation or not? Uh, you know will they go automation when we come out of this? What is the role of the the recruitment ad agency as we come out of this? What does the world look like? So you know it's interesting. I I think that we were already sort of starting to skew towards some virtualization and more automated things out of necessity for the tight labor market, right? Like things needed to really be on demand. You needed to, you needed to troll deeper into pools to get people because they were overly employed. And I think it's just going to be the same technology, but the flip of that, right? Like where we were using AI to really find people and put place them in roles and pre-qualify them. Now we're going to use it to find quality people. So it's, it's going to be the same thing. It's just going to be making the pool smaller, not larger, particularly in entry level roles. 
Mm-hmm. And this bears to be seen, but my take on it is that in most professional roles, unless it was in support of something that declined specifically because of this, like engin- a bunch of engineers aren't losing their jobs forever, right? Like, like so some of the tightest data scientists are still in high demand. I was trying to find somebody mm-hmm. to do mining and tooling the other day. And it's just like those, those people still are at full on it full employment. So so I think that rather than having to train whole staffs of people to ebb and flow, we can just use automation to sort of help make up those differences. Thoughts on that? I agree 100%. I think that talent acquisition just overall is is always been way too damn short-sighted. We forget that there's a cycle and just because there are, you know, a, a hundred candidates coming in and applying for a job versus a thousand, we think that we can do business differently. We don't scale well. I think the technology that we have today allows us to do better scaling. And that being said, what's your thought from an AT&T spa- standpoint and beyond about remote work? Everybody's working remote now. I think most are actually seeing heightened productivity. They're seeing people actually doing work uh, just as well, if not better than before. Do you think that we're going to stay remote or do you think that it's just going to go back to the old 1950s control era? Yeah, it's interesting, right? Because I, one of the reasons I left AT&T is that I didn't want to relocate to our headquarters, right? So, yeah, in so Dallas. there's that, right? In Dallas. Yeah. Uh, just a hop, skip, and a jump, but it's still a hop, skip, and a jump. And I've worked remote for 17 years. So I don't know, right? Like, I think that there's still that desire, particularly in roles that require a lot of collaboration. There's still going to be that desire to pod people together, you know, pull them to places. But I don't think it's ever going to be like it was. And I think you see a lot of mid-sized companies just ditch the office altogether. Yeah, the, the overhead, yeah. right? And do you think do you think age-wise there's a difference? I mean, I've always talked about younger kids, or not kids, but younger professionals you know, wanting to be in a, an office and, and engage with other people and go to the cafeteria and, and do those things. Whereas older folks that have a home in the suburbs may be less likely to want to go, <laughs> go to the headquarters. Would you agree with that? You know, it's interesting. I think it goes on both ends, right? Like, I think I'm at the top of the, I'm at the top of the free range, let me live in my suburb home and work from upstairs office. I think in general, I'm hearing the older workers want to have at least some structure of the office. There's, there's maybe an amount of oversight and control. And, you know, I don't find the same, you know, I'm, it's interesting. I live in a college town. I don't find the same thing with the younger kids. I think that they make their own community out of something different. And quite honestly, right, like in this whole spirit, I'm going to do whatever makes Jen happy. Like, I think that that's probably better for their overall well-being, right? <laughs> like, they're so yeah. with the people that they work with. Today. Yep. So I'm going to I'm going to let you out on this. And, and uh, I think you have a unique perspective in that you've seen so much technology, so many vendors that call you and pitch you their products. I want to just get from you sort of a bear and bull scenario. What what technology are you are you bullish on and what are you bearish on? I'm going to go ahead and guess that programmatic, you're bullish if you're consulting with uh, with Jovio. 
And I'm going to guess you're bearish on chatbots because you weren't very complimentary of that as a as an application process. What else are you bullish and bearish on? So bullish also on virtual gatherings, right? Like I I, I want to see a better do. I do you remember the brazen careers when she used to have that virtual career? Yeah, meaning job for, fair, virtual job yeah. fair events, and, and not okay. even job fairs, right? Like if you think about the COVID and colleges and how much virtual learning is going to be going on. Like, I don't just want a booth. I want someplace, I, something virtual where you can gather a group of people. It doesn't have to be career fair related, but good networking in a way that it is employer facing, right? Like today, some of the platforms are really just about the experience, but the reality is we should all be gathering leads and sending follow-up emails, right? Like, so something that makes that the virtual meeting space for jobs. And I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not super all in on, I, I hate the chat bots in any variety. Maybe the text ones are okay, <laughs> but they are like, it's, I mean, I know that they have, some people love them. I'm not, I, you know, I'm not speaking all the truths. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I feel like, I feel like the, uh, this is going to be unpopular, but I feel like the niche diversity site, like big thumbs down, right? Like I, I'm cool if so you have bearish a, on bearish on niche job sites. Yes. Okay. Go on. Go on. So, so in, in specifically around diversity, right? Like, and so there are some that bring a lot of value in organizations that have substance to them. But if the only thing that you're doing is putting my jobs on a job site where you're putting content that you think is relative to women, if I've do that like i'm just like phoning it in i should just build that content myself amen amen <laughs> i have i have the hardest question for you so are, are you ready okay, I, I am so joel probably doesn't know this but you are like one of the biggest baker mayfield fans do you <laughs> feel do you feel as if this is the Browns' year? Okay, so my husband's a Steelers fan, and so it's really unpopular when I'm all in. I, I feel you on that, right? Like, I, I feel bad when I'm all in on Bakes. But yeah, man, I I hope it is. But Chad, let's just be real. <laughs> it's probably not I mean, I love you, man. It's probably not happening, but I hope that he gives it a good run. And like, you know, I love him, so... Do you did you see the video of when uh, during the draft I was vi videoing Joel as the pick yes. of Baker Mayfield came? In? Yes, yes. I, I thought I lost him for the entire night. He was so yeah. pissed. But, okay, so it's been a few years. Has he grown on you? No. Oh man. <laughs> I want to. Okay. So I was I was I was super anti because he's small. Uh, you know, he's I think he's hit his ceiling. You know, he was 23, I think, when he came to the Browns, 22, 23. Uh, so I felt like he had hit his ceiling. He was, you know, when you're in when you're in the AFC North, like you got to be big. You got to be a Roethlisberger, you know, like a big arm, big guy to, to survive. And he's none of those. You know, he's he's a Texas kid, played Oklahoma. Uh, the weather doesn't suit him very well when it's bad. He came in, you know, cocky. Uh, the police video wasn't great. Um, you know, he he's he's got a chip on his shoulder. And, and part of me kind of fell for that thinking, well, maybe he's not what Cleveland wanted, but maybe he's what Cleveland needed. I do think that he's focus now he's not doing the progressive commercials and he's not doing like the right. underwear ads and things like that which i think is good i think he's he's at least grown up to the point where he says i have to focus on football 
He's got the team around him. You know, he's got a coach that made, uh, I don't know who the hell it was, uh, a good quarterback for a year at uh, Minnesota. So I think they may, I think they make the playoffs this year. I really do. Uh, they're not going to beat out Baltimore, but the Steelers are down uh, and the Bengals are the Bengals this year. So they, I think they're, I think they make the playoffs, but is, is he the long-term answer? No, I think he has to have everything perfect. He has to have Odell Beckham. He's got to have Nick Chubb in the backfield. He's got to have a good line. He's got to have a defense that gives him the ball back. And he's going to have all that this year, and he does well. But everything has to be perfect. And it's rarely perfect in Cleveland. That's my Baker Mayfield take. <laughs> and we lost like 98% of our listeners. But that's <laughs> like, okay. we're done now. Well, <laughs> I, we shall see. I, you know, I will be cheering. And, uh, you know, I, I just hope they play at this point. I just hope right. they play this year. Well, and you saw that he said he'd take a knee during the anthem, so we'll see how that rolls out too. It's going to be that's fine. I just wanted to win football games. Just win football games, and with that, Boomer Sooner. There we go. Oh H. I hope Jen. Thank you for being on the show. For the listeners that want to connect with you, you know where where do they go? I assume LinkedIn, but but you tell me. Yep, LinkedIn is great, and you can also find me on the Twitters at J Terry Recruit. Love it. Thanks for finally coming on the show, Jen. Thank you for finally having me. We out. We out. We out. This has been the Chat and Cheese Podcast. Subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss a single show. And be sure to check out our sponsors because they make it all possible. For more, visit chadcheese.com. Oh, yeah. You're welcome. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transformed, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.